You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. It's always exciting to start out with a who, who, who. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. We actually had his commissioning last night uh, over across the street. It was a really sweet time. We're excited to have Pastor Tyler on our staff. How are you guys doing? There are a lot of Niner jerseys, but I can't see everybody at the moment because these lights are burning my face off. Uh, could I, we get the house lights up a little bit so I can see everybody? There we go. This will give you guys some, uh, some light to take some notes. Hey, uh, you know, I, this morning, I had this overwhelming sense, um, just a real clear line in my head, that the Lord is not angry and that he loves us deeply. Um, the Lord is angry at sin because sin has a way of distracting us from the thought that God loves us deeply. And so to know that you are loved deeply this morning, that he's, he's proud of you, he wants you, he desires for you to come to know him in all his fullness, um, and that he is not angry. And so thank you, Jesus, for that. I'm continuing our series on firm foundations. Um, have you guys memorized the, the vision mission statement yet? Igniting contagious faith in the one God. Okay, three people got it. I'm excited about this. Three more. We're adding two. <laughs> Igniting contagious faith in the one God who stores all. And uh, I'm continuing this. Foundations are important. I, I don't think I have to do much to convince you of this. Um, and firm foundations are even better. And I want to speak, today I'm going to be speaking about how people matter. But I want to give a brief word about foundations because they're so crucial. Actually, back, uh, not many of you guys know this, but back in 2018, um, there was a transitioning ha- transition happening in the house of Kononia um, from Pastor Tim to Pastor Andrew. And we really kind of wanted to refocus on some things. And so we had uh, actually at the time Pastor Candice Lamb was here and she started a committee. Uh, there was like probably 15, 20 people in this committee, different ages, different genders, different uh, kind of positions within the church from just someone who attends to someone who is a, a leader in a certain department to even pastors and elders on this committee. And what they did is said, okay, how is God speaking to us and how is uh, he speaking through scripture? And let's begin to just really take time to make sure that our foundation is firm and clear. And so they actually took about six to eight weeks to begin to go through scripture, did some exercises together, um, and just was praying, putting their ear to the ground, listening to the Father's voice um, so that we can know what scripture says about foundations, what God, the Holy Spirit is speaking also uniquely to our church here. And that's how you see this morning the, fa- the, the mission statement, the vision of uh, igniting contagious faith, and then the values in which they go together. And so, of course, our values, I'm going to show you in a second. Um, I and my, my wife and I, about 10 years ago, we, uh, we went through Pastor Rogers' Building a Better Marriage. Has anybody ever been through that? If you haven't, you should go through it. <laughs> it's a really good thing. Um, Pastor Roger here, the first service, and uh, I, I stole one of his illustrations. And so he said this to me about 10 years ago, and the picture has always stuck in my mind 
about foundations. And so at the beginning of his class, he draws a house. By the way, I'm no artist. I was actually telling somebody this morning, yeah, I'm going to draw an illustration this morning. They're like, oh my gosh, here we go. And, and so here's my house, okay? This house represents, right, or at least in the class, it represented our marriage. And Pastor Roger would draw this up there. And for the sake of the illustration, he'd begin to talk to us about foundations. Now, about 40, 50 years ago, the foundations which are laid in houses are a little bit different than they are today. Um, today, it's a cement slab that they go upon. But back in the day, what they would do is drive these long telephone pole-like uh, pillars, wood pillars, into the ground. And they would drive them into the ground to make the foundation. And uh, he went on to say in this illustration that the thing that destroyed these houses more than any type of natural causes or natural disasters was termites. All right? I don't know how to draw a termite, but just use your imagination, okay? And these termites would actually eat away at wood. Now, termites are insignificant by themselves because they're so small and insignificant. But given enough time and enough friends, this termite could do some major damage. And so the idea was, he would tell us, is that what are, he would list off, what are some of the pillars within a marriage, right? And we start saying trust and communication. And all the guys would say sex and all the things, right? We would begin to, to list off the pillars on which a, a healthy marriage would be. And he says, now he says, be careful, not so much of the storms. We can't control storms. Storms are going to come at us in some type of way. But what we can do is make sure that our foundations, that we're vigilant in taking care of the termites so that they don't weaken our foundation. And so us as a church, as a church body, universally, locally, and us individually, right, have to take care of um, the termites that try to damage some of the values in which our house stands, and how we take care of our foundation and exterminate, exterminate these termites is going to begin to dictate what, it's, what our house is going to look like when the storms come up against it. Let me, let me just let you guys in on something. Storms are going to happen. Storms come. They're not predictable. But what we can do is take care of the things that are in front of us. Matthew 7, which Jesus is talking about foundations, Matthew 7, 24 through 25, he says, Everyone who hears my words, hears these words of mine, and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And even though the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, right, the storms are coming, what happened? It did not fall. And why didn't it fall? Because it has been founded on the rock. The foundation is the thing that holds us together. And let me just tell you, when we talk about the values of Jesus is everything, people matter, community, authentic community, when we talk about transformed lives, when we talk about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, there is going to be pressures of the culture, pressures from people, pressures from your own mind that, that will begin to push on these and if you've taken care of some of the termites in there, like, why do we call Jesus? Why is Jesus our everything? And begin to remove some of those termites that might be chewing away at that. 
or why do people matter and begin to remove some of the jadedness that we have towards people, right? We have to remove these termites so our foundation will stand. Storms come. We must be vigilant. The winds come, but we have to take care of the values. And today, like I said, I'm talking about the value of people matter. You know, I was thinking about, or I was talking to Candice about this message, and she made up a good point about pillars. They have a way of distributing weight. And if one is eroded, it puts more weight on another. And so how just not one of these pillars is great, but all of them are something we have to take care of and be vigilant about so that it doesn't stress the other pieces uh, as well. There is this, um, and so people matter. Have you ever felt like you didn't matter? Has anybody, am I the only one in the room? There's five other people that say I haven't, I feel like I haven't mattered before. You know, I, uh, about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I went to college. I was in Portland, Oregon. And at the time in Portland, Oregon, uh, we had, uh, it was about 2006, 2007 when I started. And I went to this really trendy church um, there was a lot of, I'm going to use this term, metrosexuals. You guys know what those are, right? Men who like to take care of themselves, right? They use the fancy face wash, and they do all this special stuff. And, you know, I'm over here saying, man, nothing touches this face other than the suds of my shampoo. And, and I started feeling this pressure because I, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to feel connected and valued. And so I started dressing different, started doing my hair different. I would get a straight iron and I would straighten my bangs to come down to the side. I would fluff up the back of my hair like some emo kid and uh, <laughs> began wearing tighter jeans and things like that. And, and I found myself doing things and be, being somebody that I wasn't. Why? Because I wanted to matter. I wanted to feel right. There's this uh, theory, it's called uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs, if they would put that up. Now, this theory doesn't come from um, a Christian standpoint. Of course, it's a worldly standpoint, but when it comes to social behaviors, it makes a lot of sense. And the idea is, is that each one of these tiers is a human need, that we must have a physio, we all, we, everyone has physiological needs, right? We need air, water, and food. These are things that we need that need to be taken care of. Then going up to the thing is safety, personal security, employment. Above that is love and belonging, self-esteem. And if this was a Christian point of view, I wouldn't call that the top one self-actualization. I can't say that word. I tried it again, and it was it's not happening. There you go. You you can barely do it too. So I don't feel bad. (laughs) And so I put the top one that said more of a purpose right, if I was looking from a, a Christian standpoint. And the idea is, is if one of these needs aren't filled, that your behaviors would be modified in a way, even though it may go against the things that you value and, the, and, the, and your morality. So for instance, physiological need. If you haven't eaten in a, mo- uh, a couple weeks, right, you may be pushed to become a thief to steal food and to do things like that. And even though your morals say it's not good to steal, because you're not getting food in your belly, the pressures begin to push you in directions that will begin to compromise your beliefs about that thing. Let's go to all the way to the third tier about love and belonging, right? 
Maybe you live in a home that, where you never felt like you were a part of that. You felt kind of disenfranchised and thrown off to the edge. And then you begin to compromise your sexual integrity. Why? Because you want to feel like you're loved and you're, you belong. And I believe that sin and the devil, the enemy of our souls, begins to take the needs of people and begin to starve them in some type of way so that they would be pushed over here and begin to become something that they ne God never meant them to become. And the whole idea of loving and accepting and pouring into the idea of people matters is that we would be able to pour into that so people would have a safe place to start becoming who God has called them to be. And when they begin to feel the love and acceptance of the church, they would be able to kind of let their walls down and let the Father's love begin to touch their lives. If we don't value, if we don't practice authentic love for people, we are sons of Satan. We are doing his work for him. We need to be sons of God who pour into people, love people. That doesn't matter what kind of biases or prejudices that we have. We love them. And if we do this authentically, it would be life-changing and life-transforming uh, for a lot of people. Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Freedom Riders? Right, um, and if you haven't, don't worry. I'm about to describe a little bit of it for you. There's this lady. It's actually that there's a true story based on a book that was written back in the '90s about a teacher named Erin Gruwell, and she was a teacher that be she became a teacher in L.A. County, and she was thrown into a classroom with all of these at-risk students. They were all the people, all the ones that the teachers didn't want. They had problems not in school. They had problems at home. And what she did is that she began to kind of position herself towards these kids like they actually mattered. And she began to help them by giving them a journal and giving them some stuff to read and having them write some of this stuff down. And you see in the process of this movie and this story, which is based on a tr something that really happened, that as they began to feel loved, they felt safe, and as they felt safe, they started becoming something different some of the behavioral issues that they were dealing with started to dissipate. You see this all the time with kids in the foster care system that are restored to their family. A lot of the issues that they're dealing with is just being loved and being a part of a family. What ends up happening is like a lot of these issues begin to dissipate. And it's the whole idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that there's something that they need that isn't being fulfilled and it's pushing them to become something that they're not. And if we would just begin to help fill that cup of loving and being and belonging, right, that they would actually start to develop in who God has called them to be and be restored in that way. And so today, I'm not going to only, I'm going to continue the idea of people that matter, and I'm going to talk through scripture on why people matter, okay? The first one is, is that we are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let him, them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We value people's lives, and people matter, because it literally has the imprint of God on each and single life. 
Today is actually the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Did you guys know that? And we're so zealous as Christians about the life of an unborn baby is that sometimes it gets a little crazy. And we truly believe that all life matters. And so I want to just make sure that the church that says the unborn lives matter is that our hearts are, always posi- are also positioned in a way that say that those who don't di- that disagree with us, their, their lives matter as well. And so we have to position ourselves and protect those, those, those things from the termites that will try to get in there. Because how do you say this, that life is valuable while you're condemning another person? It's two messages beginning to, to go up against each other. I love, uh, I heard a little thing on, I think, Instagram, the rapper Lecrae, um, Christian rapper. He talked about that he's not pro-life, he's whole life. And he, he, he presented this idea from womb to tomb that he thinks all life val- is valuable. And of course, that's exactly what we believe today. And so if you're a Christian, we're celebrating the sanctity of human life today because it's so precious and because it's imprinted with the thumbprint of God. The second thing in why people matter is that we are co-heirs and children of God. In Romans, it talks about the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Ephesians 2, starting in verse, uh, you know, 4 through 7, uh, if we are raised, we're actually raised and seated in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ, so that in the coming age he might show these uh, immeasurable riches and grace and kindness towards us that are in Jesus. Everything that was available to Jesus is available to us. We are his children. If you want to see a bad side of of me, mess with my kids, right? Every parent would probably agree with that as well. Actually, this morning, so you know how we all had our first through fifth grade was in here this morning worshiping with us? Well, I have a first grader. And my wife and I are both in here, and our first grader is not with us. My wife sent her across the way, not knowing that she was supposed to be in here. And um, she told me that. I looked at her like, well, go find her, <laughs> you know? Like, and so she took off, and instantly I got distracted. And the only thing I cared about is where is my daughter and is she safe, yeah. right? It's because she's my kid. And the, the love of the Father is positioned in the same way. There's a parable about uh, the, have you guys heard about the 99 sheep or the 100 sheep and the 99 that stayed and the one that wandered off? The shepherd actually leaves the, the 99 to go find the one because the Father has a heart for the one. He thinks about the one that is off to the side and lost. We are the children of the Father. Not only are we children, but we're chosen. In Colossians, it says, as God's chosen ones put on holiness, compassion, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In 1 Peter 2.9, you guys have heard this before, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that he may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're, God, you're God's people. Not only are we chosen, but he also desires to save us. 
John 3, 16, everybody knows that passage. So for, for God so loved the world that he gave his son so that the world wouldn't perish. But in verse 17, but God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to what? To save it. First Timothy says, it is God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Second Timothy or Second Peter three nine, and the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that you should that should any should perish, but that you would come and reach repentance. Are you convinced that the Lord values people? More importantly, are you convinced that he values you? Listen, we're created, we're chosen, we're loved, we're cherished. And we're bought back. He created us and he bought us again. We're his twice. Psalms 8 says this. I love this passage. What is man that you're mindful of him? You crown him with glory and honor and you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. And he put all things under his feet. Psalms 39. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for fearfully, for making me fearfully, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. How precious are your thoughts for me. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the sands of the sea. Could we just do something really quick? Can you just close your eyes and put your hands forward, like almost like you're receiving something? And so, Father, I know it's so important for us to receive the love from you because we're not just a set of people with good morals. We're a set of vessels waiting to flow what comes from the top. And so, God, would you flow into the vessels today that we'd be people that were more than just people who have a set of morals, but we'd be overflowing wells that would begin to deliver the love of the Father to the rest of the people, Father. And so, God, I pray every single person in this room that doesn't feel loved, Right now, God, I pray that there would be an overwhelming sense that your love is deep for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're convinced that the Father is loving biblically and experientially, but let me face you with this. The challenge is this when it comes to people are valuable. The challenge is people are difficult, right? (laughs) And so this week I had a couple run-ins with some difficult people. And uh, seems like the perfect timing, right? I'm over here putting the message together about people being valued and difficult people come across my path. And I can't say I was very successful with all of them. And so we have, um, we have an office that's downtown and it's in the midst of the, the downtown area. And if you've ever been to downtown on a Wednesday or a Thursday afternoon, you know parking is absolutely insane. And we actually purchased about six spots behind our office that are private parking. There's even signs that say private parking for Koninia office, da 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 right? Some of you have probably parked there before, and, you know, we've kind of huffed at you. And usually, I, I never get into this thing. I usually just park around the corner or do something like that. But today, everything was packed. I didn't know where to park. And I'm like, and then right as I'm kind of figuring that out, I see a car pull out. I'm like, great. I know that car wasn't part of our office, but they pulled out and they're leaving. And then right as I'm going to pull in, lo and behold, a car gets in front of me and pulls into the spot. 
And so I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a good opportunity. I'll just let her know right? That this is private parking, even though there's a big sign in front of her face that says private parking. And so I pull up and I said, excuse me, ma'am, um, do you know that this is private parking? And she kind of looks at me like, uh, okay. And we kind of, kind of stood there in awkward silence for a little bit. And I said, so are you going to move? <laughs> she looks down and she's thinking about it for a little bit. And she's like, you're part of this office right here. She's like, how do I know you're part of this office? I'm like, man, I work here. And that, anyways, that sign, you shouldn't be here anyways. The sign says private parking. Um, and she said, she looks up one more time and I said, are you going to move? And she says, no, do what you have to. And man, I forgot every single scripture that I just listed to you guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the love of the father did not bubble over in my vessel, but the anger of, of, of Satan did. And that lit a fire under me, and I went into straight Karen mode, right? <laughs> I didn't know, I, I couldn't do anything, right? I, I, it says on there that it's own, you know, this is given private parking by the Hanford police, but I know the police didn't care about a stupid parking issue. I knew if I called the tow truck that they were going to take 12 hours and the lady was going to be gone by then. And I said, well, I'm going to call somebody. <laughs> so I pretended or I pretended to call somebody and I have my phone <laughs> up to my ear like uh yeah she's in the fourth spot here's her license number and then it got kind of then she was like oh what's this guy doing and then she started taking a picture of my truck and uh her husband's coming out from the office and they're talking and I'm like man what am I doing and I so I drove away and of course she gives gives him something and pulls out of the parking lot and leaves and I'm like, man, I could have totally missed that. And the idea is, is that everyone in this room has been there before. <laughs> Where like you hear a call to love and to be loving, but there's just some people that are just difficult, right? And people hurt us. They say dumb things. They do the wrong things. And even when we do the right things, they'll still do the wrong things. Because people take and the more we begin to love people and position ourselves to love people, the more run-ins you'll have like that is because people are difficult. Did you know Jesus actually had to get away from the crowds every once in a while? Talks about in scripture that he had to go to a place of solitude and pray. Because why? People were taking. They wanted, they wanted, they wanted, and the Father needed to fill him back up. And, not, and we have to understand that you have a capacity. And not only that, you have a bias. Did you, you notice that some people are easier to love than others? Oh, yeah, I, I really love people. Oh, he's a Republican. We're not going to talk about his opinion doesn't matter. Or she's a Democrat. Her opinion doesn't matter. Or that's just a kid. They don't really matter. And how many times, right, we have disregarded people and put them less than because they didn't line up with the same belief system that we have. And we have to be careful that we're called to love all. And to value people really means willing to lay aside some of these things so that we can walk in a way that says everyone is welcome. Everyone is valuable. And so we need to protect us from those termites that will try to steal those things from us. And so not only do people matter and that people are difficult, but I'm going to actually help you guys position yourselves, or at least I'm going to give you some advice. You're going to have to apply this or not. 
advice on how we can position ourselves from a biblical standpoint to where people do matter. The first one is this, that we need to place ourselves below others. Let me just preference with this. this. This doesn't mean to allow people to walk all over you. Well, most of the time it doesn't mean that. But I, it doesn't come from an unhealthy place, like you don't matter. It comes from a place of admiration for Jesus, right? Because this is the example and the tone that Jesus has set. And this is a, a principle within the kingdom that we need to apply to our lives. Of course you are valuable, but we're following the example of Jesus, which in Philippians t- chapter 2, you need to read this chapter if you haven't. Verse 3, it says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look at to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. There's a phrase that Jesus used in the Gospels, and it was in a couple stories. It's kind of spread throughout and it's really a phrase that is trying to make, the, make people shift their idea of how their lives should be positioned. And he says this, the first will be last, and the last will be first. In Matthew 19, he tells this to the rich young ruler, or he tells the disciples the whole issue with the rich young ruler. He wanted to follow Jesus, but there was some stuff he had to let go. He couldn't let that stuff go, so he left. And, he said, and then Jesus tells the disciples, listen, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He goes on, he talks about the workers in the field in Matthew 20, and, and in the workers in the field is that you have a couple guys that are saying that the, the, the field manager said, hey, I'll pay you a denarii for working for, for the day, and so they're, they're working all day. Someone, another worker comes in late, and the end of the day, the guys all get paid the same thing, and they're looking at the, 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 the owner of the field like, what are you doing? That's unfair. And he says this, the first shall be last, and the last will be first. Luke 13 talks about the narrow door and following Jesus, talking about the things and the, how you position your life, getting rid of certain things and giving stuff up and placing Jesus as uh, the, the, the Lord of your life. And he uses the same phrase. This idea is this new way of living. It pushes against man's greatest enemies, which is pride, that we're important, that we deserve more. And the reason why we can place ourselves last in line is because we say we have everything we need in Jesus. Let the other people that need more get in front of me. I have all that I need right here, and that's why I could place myself in the back. When it comes to kingdoms, right, you guys are all familiar when there's a kingdom that's set up, there's a hierarchy of, of authority, right? It's the, the prince the, the, or the princess, the prince, the, the queen, the king. It's not so in the kingdom of God. Jesus actually puts himself last. It says this in Philippians 2 that Jesus actually became a servant, right? He, didn't, he came as a servant to do what? To serve, He placed himself last. And our greatness and our usefulness in the kingdom of God is going to be dependent on whether or not you position yourself this way. Useful people in the kingdom of God are not first in line. They're last because they're following the the way of Jesus, saying and valuing other people. Subpoint to this point is this, is that how we treat the disenfranchised actually reflects our love for Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come to me who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you in? Or, or naked and clothe you? And when, uh, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. So important. How we treat others, how we value others is a reflection of how we are positioned, as a reflection of our love for Christ. And so we need to place ourselves below. The second thing is, is that we need to stay on course with mission. Listen, listen, when you become a Christian, you can't, your ultimate purpose is now submitted to the purpose of the Father. No matter if you're a plumber, a CEO in a major business, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're, a, if you're a teacher in the schools, everything that would begin to define us, define our vocation and define how we work and the skills and the talents we use are now all submitted, submitted, submitted to the purpose of the Father, to the purpose of the kingdom, which is this, go out and make disciples. Acts 1. Go and make disciples. I've given you my spirit to go make disciples. And everything that we are, need our time, our talent, and our resources need to be positioned in a way that begin to say, God, it's about your purpose. The American church has been uh, too long distracted by building their own kingdoms, and they need to stop putting their time and talents into their own kingdom and say, God, whatever you want, I give to you. Father, my whole life is going to be, be positioned in a way that you could use me wherever I am. And we begin to accept the, the heart of the Father and the purpose of the Father. And so when we go into the schools, when we go into the homes, when we go into the business meetings, when we're, when we're at home with our children, we begin to say, how can I begin to express the Father's love and pull people back into the kingdom, but begin to let them know the, the value of who they are so they can know the true value that the Father thinks of them. Everywhere we go needs to be submitted to the purpose of the Father. I can say more about that, but I'm, I'm not going to make you guys feel bad anymore, okay? <laughs> Number three, how we position ourselves. Pray for your enemies and take yourself off the judgment seat. Man, I had a, a thing that happened. I, I used to coach football in one of the local high schools here. And I coached for about uh, three, four years. And there was a coach that I was coaching with at the time that I, I really had a, a problem with because in the way he would talk to the kids, the way he would talk to these young high school boys. And if you've ever been a part of that scene, even down to the elementary school, you know how crazy sometimes these coaches could get, how the kind of the verbal language they use, and it could really become something that is kind of damaging to the kids. Well, this guy was doing all those things, and I would come home, and, and I would be like, man, this guy, God, get this guy out of here, right? Get the right people, let him have a flat tire, whatever it is, make sure he's, he is not at practice. And I began to pray in this way, and I felt the Holy Spirit stop me as I began to almost complain to God in prayer. And he says, Chad, I want you to pray for this man and I want you to bless him. I'm like, man, you're crazy. I ain't going to do that. 
And so ultimately, after uh, maybe a few more episodes of complaining, I submitted to the Holy Spirit and I began to pray for this man. And I, I prayed, God, would you give him favor in everything he does? Would you bless his family? Would you bless his finances? I really began to pray for him in a, a way of blessing. This guy was an enemy of mine, and I said, I'm going to pray. And the Holy Spirit says, pray a blessing over him. And what happened was that when I began to do that, something shifted inside of me. I began to have a different insight into his life. And the Holy Spirit started to play back in my heads the little conversations we would have here and there about the, ba- the past broken relationships he's had with a couple women in his life. And I began to have compassion on the man and begin to have a deep sorrow for him because I, the Holy Spirit was showing me he's in the place he's at and he talks the way he talks because of the damaging things that have taken place in his life. And the Lord wants to shift our hearts he wants us to go from, think, think right now of the person that you despise the most. Think of the person that gets on your nerves that you can't even stand, right? And then the Lord's saying, pray a blessing over them. Pray favor in their life. And what happens when we pray that way for our enemies, something internal begins to shift in us. And no longer are we seeing this person as an enemy, but we're seeing them as a child of God. And we need to position ourselves this way. In Matthew uh, 5, 38 through 48, you've heard it say, right? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone would force you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one that would borrow from you. You've heard it say that uh, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become what? The sons of the father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you, do even the tax collectors do the same thing? And you, if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do you, even the Gentiles do the same? You, though, for, therefore, be perfect as the heavenly, heavenly Father is perfect. If we want to become sons of the Father, we must position ourselves in a way that prays, right, for our enemy and those who persecute us. Rightful judgments without bias, right? When there's a judge, there are judgments in life. There are positions of judgment, but true judgment happens from a good place when we're able to lay aside, right, our bias and what's fair. We can't bring wrongful judgments into, uh, wrongful judgments happen because we want to twist the knife for revenge. And forgiveness is a lifestyle. It is something that's practiced all the time. When we talk about forgiveness, it's not like, yeah, I forgave them, but I forgot, right? We all know the subtitles to that, right? You don't, you're, you don't you'll never like this person or love them well, uh, but you're just going to try to forget what actually happened. And the idea is, is that forgiveness is a lifestyle, something that is practiced every single day because people are going to offend you more and more and more. Lastly is this. I'm going to end with this too. Allow the Father to clean your heart. There's a story in Luke 15. 
And I'm going to read that story to you. But like I prayed earlier, our love for people doesn't just come from a set of, a, a disciplined set of morals that I have in my life. It comes from the overflow of the love that we've received from God. And you cannot give away what you don't possess. And so what needs to happen is that we need the Father to begin to wash over all of our biases, all of the, the, the prejudices that we have, and we need him to clean our hearts so that we could love other people how they're supposed to be loved. It says this, going to Luke 15. This is a story. There's two sons in this story. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. A younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of my property uh, that is get, coming to me. And he divided the, his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, all he had and took a journey unto the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And, he, and, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went to and hired himself out to be one of the citizens of that country. Or he went to hire himself out to one of the citizens. So he enslaved himself to somebody who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how, may, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I'm here, uh, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go with my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. And when he was still away off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not worthy to be called a son. But the father said to his servants, bring, bring quickly the best robe, put on him, put on him, uh, his, his, uh, a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. But now his older brother, or the older son, was in the field and he came in and he drew near to the house and he heard music dance and music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked them what this meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, so when the son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fat, you've, you've killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For, for this your brother, was, for your brother was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now he is found. We have two sons in this story. One of the sons squandered everything. 
filled with shame and guilt, so hungry that he has to come to his father groveling. And he comes to his father and he says, Father, I don't deserve to be called a son anymore. Let me become a servant. Have you guys been here before? So ashamed of what you've done with the things God has given you or the life he's given you that you, it's put you in a tailspin in such a way that you feel unworthy to be loved by the father? Well, let me just tell you right now, if you don't receive the father's love, that'll always come out to other people. You'll always be putting yourself down, always kind of looking at life in a, in a non-optimistic way because why? Man, what's life all about? There's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing like that. But the beautiful thing about this, as this son approaches the father who is full of shame and guilt and doesn't claim sonship by any means, what does the father do to him? Runs with him, runs to him with his arms wide open. And he said, and he, he even begins to talk and he says, Father, don't call me a son. He says, put a ring on this kid's finger. Put a, the best robe on him. Put something on his feet. Cut up the calf because we're going to celebrate tonight. My son is back. And so for us to be able to walk in the Father's love, we have to receive that from him. And so I just want to let you know right now, put your shame and a guilt, a guilt aside right now because the Father loves you deeply. And even though you don't feel worthy, he considers you worthy. The second one is the son who is full, so full of good works that his judgment was off and didn't line up with the view of the father. This can happen to us who begin to give our lives and give things up and begin to have all these righteous works in our lives that we begin to be self-focused, right? That's called self-righteousness. We get so many things going the right way and we begin, our prayers often sound a lot about our lives. God, would you help me earn more money or would you help me begin to have a new car or would you help me in this area and that area and this area? And what happens is that we grow so blind to those who are broken or without, or the ones that the Father's trying to restore. And we always are, are just inwardly focused. And sometimes we'll walk into a room and look at somebody and, and huff and say, I can't believe that person's here. I know what they did. I saw them at the bar across the street last night, but they're here this morning. How dare them? What is the church thinking to let somebody in like that? What are they thinking letting somebody in the baptism tub like that? We begin to become self-righteous and we miss the view of the Father. But look how the Father responds to someone like that. Here's my interpretation. Son, what are you thinking? That's your brother. And he's a valuable part of our family. Everything that I have is given to you. You could have any calf you wanted at any time, but you've grown distracted by your own life. You've grown distracted by your own good works and you've missed the heart of the Father. We have to value people, and if we're not careful, we can be distracted by our lives. Try, let us not be distracted by the good things that we do and the things that we're trying to position and become blind to what the Father's heart is, which is to restore humanity to Him. Would you guys stand to your feet this morning? Bow your... I almost said bow your eyes, but bow your head. Close your eyes if you wanted to. Even bow your heads if you want to. Listen, we just want to make sure we're right with the Father. So just, Father, thank you so much for this service. Thank you for the words this morning that you've given me.
I pray, Father, that we would be doers of the word. I pray today, Father, that if there's anybody full of shame and guilt, Father, that is being pushed to the side, I pray that today they would know the love of the Father. And so would you begin to saturate all those who feel distant from you, who feel like they don't belong, that they should be a servant in the house and not a son. I pray that your spirit would begin to to start from the top of their head and begin to run over, Father, all the way down to their feet, Father, and restore every broken piece of them, God. Restore every broken thought. Restore every broken uh, thing in their heart, God, to wholeness today. And so I pray that your presence would begin to wash over those unclean areas and we would restore the signet and then the, and the, the imprint of a son this morning, God, that they would walk out of here knowing that they're not a servant, but they're a part of the family, Lord. And so God, would you restore those things to their heart? And second, God, I pray for all of us, Father, who have grown self-righteous, even not even knowing it, God. Man, how we have our biases and our prejudices and the things we think are right and wrong. And God, we act and do things in a way in which aren't godly or even pleasing to you. Father, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for thinking we're better than other people? Would you forgive us for putting our lives in first place rather than positioning at the end? And so, God, I pray that you'd restore this value and you'd help us protect and be vigilant, Father, in protecting the value of people matter. And so restore identity, Lord, but also restore the heart and vision that we as a people need to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at kchamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.